Fresh Air Production. Hello and welcome to Fresh Ears. I'm Neil Cowling, the founder of Fresh Air Production, and our job is to make podcasts for clients all over the world who want to use audio for their brands and businesses. We work for corporates, NGOs, government departments, you name it. And our formats vary from the very simple to the very complex. Sometimes a one-to-one chat is the right thing for a podcast. Sometimes it's a full multi-layered documentary. We work with all our clients to arrive at the best strategic and creative approach. And in this series, we sit down with one of our clients to talk about their podcast project in the hope that it helps to inform and inspire others who might fancy making their own series. So today's episode of Fresh Ears is about a podcast that's definitely one of the most niche we make. But like so many, that's the reason it works. The IUCN is the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, with over 1,400 member organisations and a mission to safeguard the natural world. Their podcast is called Investing for Ocean Impact, and it aims to explain the business case for investing in projects that conserve the oceans. It's all, in my view, very fixable. All we've got to do is apply a bit of human sanity to multilateral relations and work out what is uh, in the common good. What role should the private sector play in this? Private sector, public sector, both uh, have a role to play and we're not going to get there without both playing that role. So why did having a podcast seem like the right way to get this message across? We're going to talk this through with Michelle Barnett, Marine Communications Officer at IUCN, and Phil Sansom, our Senior Producer here at Fresh Air. Hello, both. Hiya. Hi, nice to be here. Brilliant. So, Michelle, let's start with you. Before Investing for Ocean Impact, IUCN would be more focused on video seminars and similar video comms like that. What made you decide to have a podcast on top of all that? Well, I think you're right. I think especially in the ocean team, if you will, we've traditionally done a lot of webinars. We've done a lot of reports and publications. And we wanted to try something that was a bit more fresh, a bit newer, something we hadn't done before. So this is uh, the first podcast for IUCN as well. And also try and reach an audience that we haven't really reached before. I think when we were thinking about this during COVID, there were a lot of webinars all of a sudden all over the place. And we were thinking, how can we do something different? You know, webinars are very traditional in a a much loved medium, I think in the NGO world and in the international organization world as well. And podcasts really, I think we were thinking it's a way to reach a wider audience, people we haven't talked to before, but also it's much more flexible. Like we often record webinars, but I mean, the amount of people that actually sit down and dedicate an hour and a half, two hours to rewatching a webinar, I think uh, is probably not that many. <laughs> and this is more flexible. You know, there's no issues with time zones. You can listen to it as you're driving. You can listen to it as you're cooking, whatever else you're doing. So it was really a way for us to try and tell our story in a way that we haven't told it before. Yeah, so let's just lay that out a bit. Who's the target audience and what are you trying to say? We have two audiences really that we wanted to speak to. So on one side, we wanted to speak to conservation projects on the ground or entrepreneurs on the ground who traditionally have a lot of conservation experience. Maybe they've relied on sort of more traditional grant funding for their conservation projects, but they're looking to you know, of different ways to to maybe have a more sustainable business model, something that can be sustainable in the long run while still making a difference for climate and for nature. And they're probably not that familiar with the financial industry. They probably 
might not know that much about private investments, etc. And then on the flip side of that, we wanted to talk to the financial industry as well and potential investors who, you know, will be very well schooled in what investments are, how they work, but they might not know a lot about conservation or nature-based solutions and the investment opportunities that they present. And so does the type of content that you have on the podcast or the tone of voice that you have on the podcast also differ from the webinars? Are you talking to those people in a different way than you would be otherwise? Yeah, definitely. Phil, our producer, is always telling our our guests this is, you know, jargon-free, <laughs> not technical, trying to avoid as many technical terms as possible. So we really try to, to make it more accessible to a wider audience who might not have a lot of technical expertise, either in conservation or in finance. I mean, you could argue that finance and investments and finance mechanisms in particular, maybe doesn't sound like the most exciting thing in the world. We obviously think it is <laughs> because we think it's a tool that can help us in terms of, you know, conserving the ocean. So I was really thinking about what tone of voice we could use to make that really sound very interesting and very accessible. I think it's also a lot more personal. You know, we've had quite a wide variety of guests. So people have really had a chance to express their personal opinions and their passion for what they're doing, whether it's on the investment side or whether it's people on the ground who are working uh, on conservation projects. So Phil, you've had your name check now. Let's bring you in. How do you as a producer go about that? Because Michelle's right, being frank, this could be seen as a, a dry topic that could be done in a dry way. What can you as a producer add and what sort of conversations have you had with IUCN to try and avoid that being the case? I think it does vary with different guests. Different people kind of come to the podcast like more or less prepared to talk like frankly and openly. But I think there are certain things that we can do and that we have tried to do that make people more frank and more open. And part of that is just making sure that everyone kind of knows what's going on. I think for podcast guests... Sometimes as a producer, the temptation can be to be super informal and to laugh and joke and then get straight into it. And I think that can have this kind of weird, contradictory tendency to actually make people clam up a little bit and go, I'm not really sure what's going on. These people don't seem to totally know what they're doing. I'm not sure I can speak as openly as I'd like to. Whereas what I think we've tried to do is at the start of each call go, here's what's going to happen. Here's what we'd like you to say. We've given them kind of scripts in advance so they know what's going to be said. We tell them at the start, please keep your answers short. Please avoid jargon. And then when they actually get into the podcast, I think often they come in the frame of mind of, okay, I know what's going to happen. Within the bounds that have been set out, I can say whatever I like. That's really interesting. It's often the case when we do conversations that people are much freer when they're not being recorded than where they are. So do you think that's because you need to lay those rails out really carefully to start with so that people can then open up within that framework? Yeah, I think whenever you start the recording, people are always going to immediately stop being as free as they would otherwise be. And so I think to counteract that tendency, you have to make them feel comfortable and like, you know what you're doing. And that said, I do think that people also tend to like mimic the tone of like the questions they get asked or the tone in which the interviewer speaks to them. And so while it's good to kind of lay out the ground rules at the start, what we've tried to do moving like forward with the first series of investing for ocean impact is try and phrase our questions in as like informal kind of natural way as possible. Because if you give someone a question that incorporates a bunch of jargon and uses kind of the party line, what you're going to get back is jargon and the party line. <laughs> and if you ask someone a question that's just, what does that mean? They're going to go, oh, well, it means that. 
And so I think getting that right balance of setting things up so that people have a good idea of what's expected of them, but then addressing them in quite a frank, honest way with simple, short questions kind of leads to this more honest tone when it comes to technical material that you wouldn't otherwise get. You come from a science background. You're a science producer, but you're not a specialist in ocean investment. No way. (laughs) Does that help as well? Because everybody else in the room is an expert in the topic, but you're not. Does that help give you a bit of a distance and a bit of perspective on the conversation as well? I really think it does. And obviously, there's a, a limit to that as well. You can't come in completely ignorant. But I do think that having that distance, understanding what the ordinary person will here when they're listening to the podcast. And even for a technical audience, understanding what someone who doesn't fully understand one side of the technical material might hear, that gives you that perspective to then go, hang on, the way you just said that didn't make sense. Hang on, that phrase you just used, I don't know what that means. And part of the job for our lovely presenter, Dorothy, who's this wonderful expert on the topic, has been also kind of putting herself in that mindset, which she's gotten extremely good at, of trying to recognize when someone says something that doesn't make sense to a non-technical audience. So part of my job and Michelle's job on the Zoom call that we record on is to, whenever we hear something like that, pop Dorothy a little message in the chat. And part of Dorothy's job is to anticipate that as well and say, hang on, we might need to do that again. And Michelle, from an internal perspective, Dorothy is a colleague of yours. I know she'd been experienced at speaking before and doing webinars, podcasting is obviously quite a a new thing, a different thing. How have you helped her to adapt and learn to be a a presenter as she's gone along? Yeah, I mean, Dorothy's been uh, amazing. She's sort of had a crash course in becoming a podcast host. And uh, I think we considered lots of different opportunities when we were thinking about who should host the series. And eventually we felt that actually you know, having her voice and having her expertise would be really helpful. She's very well known in, in the ocean community as well. And as you said, she's done lots of presentations. You know, she's always out doing talks or webinars or whatever it might be. She's a skilled presenter, but this was a new medium for her. I think one of the things that we've tried to help, and in particular, you guys and Phil have helped, is trying to find, you know, the storyline within what it is that we're trying to say and and turn this very at times technical information into something that's also an interesting story. That's helped her massively. Um, She also had some presenter training, which has been really helpful. um, That was organized by you guys. And I think just as we've progressed through the series, she's obviously become more used to the format and, and become more confident. So she's really done an amazing job. And I think part of the reason why our guests are so confident and comfortable speaking is you know down to her and the way that she presents and the way that she sort of engages with the guests and there was this great example i think in a recent episode that i remember where you could see that as someone was answering a question another guest was kind of visibly like shifting in the zoom window and at the end of the first guest question dorothy just said you look like you had something to say And then the person came straight in and was like, yes, I do have something to say. And immediately came in with their next answer. (laughs) We cut out Dorothy's bit where she said, looks like you have something to say. And we got this natural bit of conversation between two guests that wouldn't have occurred when Dorothy had like less experience. I think that goes to show how much she's like come into her own as a presenter and how it's possible for someone from that kind of background to do that. It seems like such a simple thing when you explain it, but it's not, is it? It's quite an instinctive presenter technique that which only comes through practice and through 
being more and more at ease in the position of presenter. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I think it is definitely a skill, but it's a skill that can be learned like any other. In our case, it's really helped having someone who does know the topic inside and out because it is so technical at times, but who's also very willing to learn and get good at this and has done so. We've talked about the process in the recording. Let's step back a bit and talk more about the pre-production because that's evolved as well, hasn't it? Lots of clients who particularly have technical subject matter or own a particularly technical industry often feel like they should do all that pre-production because they're the experts, they've got all the knowledge to hand. And therefore, a lot of inquiries that we have really start from the point of view of, don't worry, we've got all that sorted you just need to rock up and press record. I think that's evolved along the way as well, hasn't it, Phil? How's that moved? Definitely, like Michelle said, we've started looking for the kind of narrative and the story we can draw out when it comes to each kind of technical topic. And the way we've done that is more emphasis on the research calls, the calls that you do with a guest before they come on the recording, where you kind of ask them all the questions you'd expect to ask them in the actual interview, hear what they have to say, and then go on to script the interview based on those answers. I think more emphasis on that, where you figure out what the story is first and then tell it, has really helped us come along in making something that's a lot less dry. And I think having a good balance of my involvement plus Michelle and Dorothy's involvement has been really helpful in that I can be there to do the research calls and write the first drafts of the script based on what the story might be And then Michelle and Dorothy can come in and say, you've got that wrong, you've got that wrong, you've got that right, you've got that wrong. (laughs) And then we can refine it from there to produce something that between us, that is much better than either of us could have done on our own. And Michelle, how's that been from your end? Have you sort of appreciated that producer input into the scripting and the preparation as well? Yeah, definitely. I think we came to you with a rough idea of what we wanted to do. You know, we had a bit of a storyline of the topics that we wanted to touch on, but how we were going to turn that into a podcast. That was not our expertise, which is why we came to you. And I think the, you know, when we look back at the original sort of plan that we had, that's evolved quite a lot. Uh, It's changed quite a lot, as it should do. Yes, we've progressed as we've done the research course and we've found, you know, interesting topics or interesting points that the guests have mentioned that we want to highlight. And even, you know, as we've progressed through the episodes, there have been things that have come out that we then wanted to pick up on again. So that's sort of progressed throughout the series. And I think that's quite a natural way. I think it's been helpful to have Phil, of course, because Phil will look at it from a, a storyline point of view. You know, how do we tell this in the best possible way? Dorothy, obviously, is a, you know an expert in oceans and in climate change and in financing ocean conservation. And I work on the communication side of things. So I know some technical elements, but not nearly as much in any way, shape or form. Michelle's being humble. <laughs> and when we're on the side of, you know, how we communicate that externally. Uh, so I think the sort of mix of, of the three has been really good. And I've uh, joined as many of the research calls as I could as well, because it's been quite educational for me. We reassure people on that a lot. When we talk about a script, we're really just talking about a structure, aren't we? And, yeah. And, a, and bullet points rather than anybody reading full lines off a script because that's always going to sound yeah. <laughs> wooden. <laughs> Definitely. So how do you measure the success of it then? You've got a sort of community of people who are all involved in this niche. You've obviously got a network that you've already communicated with previously. 
how do you determine whether the podcast was a good investment or not? You know, one of the things that we've often often asked you guys about is, you know, how do we benchmark this against what what else is happening in the podcast world? And uh, obviously, frustratingly, so listener numbers and stuff like this aren't readily available. You can't go in and see what what your competitors might be attracting. I wish we could. That would be great. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> but I think this is also quite niche, as we've talked about. So, you know, we weren't expecting millions and millions to listen, but we were expecting to have a, a significantly larger audience and a larger reach than we would have had with a webinar. And we've certainly had that. Great. And it's been our first podcast for IUCN. So we've built the audience from scratch and we've really seen the audience grow every two weeks that we've released a new episode. We would have even more listeners and we've seen the sort of baseline of people who listen, you know, in between the episodes being released. That's grown as well. So we've been really pleased with how the numbers are looking. But I think a measure of success for us as well is also that we've had a lot of internal interest in in the podcast, you know, of people asking us how uh, we've gone about doing this. As I said before, there's many different parts to IUCN and many different communicators across IUCN, across the different themes, across the different regions. So that's been really, really interesting. But then also externally, we've had a lot of people start to get in touch with us, you know, either to say, oh, I really love this. This is great. I love the honest conversation. I love that you're being, you know, very honest about the topics and very open and conversational. Or even asking if they can join the podcast. And we've had to turn quite a lot of people away and put them sort of on maybe a, a list for season two, depending on what topics we're going to talk about. But I think that's been a massive success for us is that uh, people are paying attention and the feedback is coming back to us that people are actually listening. And then just the fact that we're reaching a slightly different audience that we would have done before. Looking at season two, and it's great that you're going into season two, anything you're going to change? Are you going to mix it up a bit? How are you thinking that it will evolve? We had a very clear sort of build up throughout season one. You know, we talked first about what the status of the ocean is currently and, and how conservation is financed. And then we've talked a lot about nature-based solutions and the kind of opportunities that they present both from an investment point of view, but also, of course, for nature. And then we've looked to the project developers on the ground. We've talked to the investors and then we sort of started talking to the global policymakers, et cetera, and more high level towards the end. So I think it was very clear to us that we couldn't replicate the exact same storyline again and do the same thing all over again. So we've pinpointed topics that, you know, have come out of season one that we maybe didn't have that much time to dive into that we want to really focus on in season two. And I think also one of the things that we've looked at is making sure that our guests have the best sort of setting for a, as you know, sort of very honest and open conversation. And part of that is maybe being less prescriptive in the questions that we're asking, if we can put it like that, and sort of going a little bit more in the, with the flow uh, when we're recording. And I know you're also on the sort of macro scale, you're getting involved in series two on the full season planning, aren't you? Thinking about how the narrative will play out over the course of the whole series. Yeah, I would kind of use the word narrative here loosely because obviously... <laughs> yeah. Not that it's bad, but it's not like we're telling a true crime story here, right? Sure. It's not like it starts with someone getting murdered and then at the end we find out who did it or don't know who did it. Instead, we're trying to communicate a technical topic. But I think there is still like a flow and an order you can get into that we're trying to work out right now of 
moving from things like the big scale of ocean conservation to ground scale like projects, moving from things like the open ocean to the coastal regions, trying to create a bit of a balance between different kinds of topics as we move episode to episode so that you don't get three finance episodes and then three conservation episodes. And then overall trying to take people to a different place of understanding between the start and the end of the season and make people want to keep tuning in all the way up to episode 10, basically. I think one thing we've also thought a lot about is, you know, the kind of guests that we have together on the episode. And I think where we've really seen some very interesting conversations across season one is where we've maybe had some opposing views, thinking a little bit about how we can recreate some of that on season two as well, like the kind of people that we have together in the conversation. I think that will make a, a difference as well. It's been amazing to see that maturing without wanting to sound patronising, but how your approach to the podcast is, has matured over time and the way that you're now looking at season two, this happens with everybody. You have more expertise, you have more understanding of the process, you have more understanding of how that will all fit together and how you take that audience with you than you did at the start, which is part of becoming a proper podcaster as an organisation, which is um, fantastic to see. Michelle, any hints or tips you would pass on to somebody who's where you were a year ago, anyone who's thinking of doing this similar thing, and what would you say to them? I'm just thinking. <laughs> Don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I would say do it. I think, you know, you need to know what it is that you're trying to say with a podcast. It's an interesting format because the episodes in themselves are quite short. We try to stay around the 25 minute mark. Doesn't always happen a certain not towards the end of season one. Um, so you really have to be quite focused in what you're trying to say. And it really forces you to think about your message and what you're trying to get across in it. A brief way, especially because we normally have about three guests uh, in one episode. So it's not a lot of airtime for each person. Plus, and then you have to sort of subtract the intro and the outro, etc. But then at the same time, you get the chance to tell a narrative or a story across multiple episodes. So I think it's such an interesting format in that sense that, you know, you both have like the individual episodes that have to be very sort of short and snappy, but then you're tying them together into a series and you can tell an overarching story. I would definitely also recommend, I mean, if you're not personally a podcast expert or producer, then working with, with someone who is like yourselves uh, has been a clear benefit. And I think, you know, we've gotten a much better result than we would have done had we attempted to do this on our own with a with a microphone in a meeting room somewhere that would probably be my advice so everybody should have a fill yes everyone should have a fill <laughs> phil same question for you what advice would you give to somebody who's in michelle's shoes i think there are obviously so many great reasons to do a podcast to communicate what you have to say but there's this one thing that dorothy from iucn our presenter says that comes to mind, which is that she hates this idea of, she calls it fluffy duffy communication, which is this great phrase. And by it, she means communication that is very self-congratulatory, says a lot without saying anything, hits the talking points and never dives any deeper. And I think a, a huge, huge consideration with this series has always been cutting through that fluffy duffy getting to the real meat, having like some tricky discussions, like Michelle said, getting guests together who might disagree, trying to actually get to the heart of a really tricky topic. 
And I think trying to do that in a webinar, for example, is almost impossible. Whereas when you put a podcast together and you can get people in the same kind of albeit virtual room and you can get them talking in a much more frank way, then you get that kind of conversation and those kind of messages that I don't think you would get somewhere else. That's what podcasting's for, isn't it? That's what the medium's for. Yeah, honesty, I think. Lovely. Thank you both very much indeed. That's been really useful and really interesting. And I, I'm sure it will be of great interest to people who are where you were a year ago, as we've, as we've said, just exploring this whole world. So thank you very much. That's Investing for Ocean Impact. It's from IUCN. It's available on all podcast platforms. Thank you to Michelle Barnett, Ocean Communications Officer for IUCN, and Phil Sampson, our senior producer here at Fresh Air. If you'd like to find out more about how Fresh Air can help you build a podcast for your own brand or business, you can find us at freshairproduction.co.uk. In the meantime, I'm Neil Cowling. Goodbye, and thank you very much for listening to Fresh Ears. Fresh Ears.